Being disabled or having a chronic illness can feel like you're moving forward in reverse. I'm your host, Scott Martin. Join me and my new friends from this underrepresented community as we talk about disrupting the status quo and creating change within the world and within ourselves. Hey, life's a road trip. Hop in. Let's turn on some tunes and go. With me in the passenger seat and managing the radio is Becca Laurie Hector. Becca was diagnosed on the autism spectrum as an adult and has since become a dedicated autism and neurodiversity advocate, researcher, consultant, speaker, and author. With a focus on living an active, positive life, her work includes autism and neurodiversity consulting, autistic quality of life research, public speaking engagements, as well as teaching her course, Self-Defined Living, A Path to a Quality Autistic Life, and her related seminars. Becca has published multiple articles and books about life on the autism spectrum with the goal of spreading acceptance, building understanding, and encouraging self-advocacy. She spent four years supporting the autism community and the nonprofit sector in her work for grassroots organizations that provide resources and services directly to the individuals on the autism spectrum, leaving open only to open her to autism and neurodiversity consulting business. Hi, Becca. Hello, how are you? I'm doing fine. Um, before we get started on on this road trip, I, I need to ask you a really pointed question. Who is Sir Walter Underfoot? <laughs> Sir Walter <laughs> Underfoot um, is my everything. He is my <laughs> emotional support animal. Um, and um, I really try to do a lot of things with him. We spend a lot of time together. Um, and he is uh, his has his own main character energy, let's say. <laughs> Interesting. Now I want to get going into some of the deeper, uh, deeper topics. In the March 2021 uh, issue of Autism Spectrum News, and so folks know, a link will be available on the uh, Life's a Road Trip website, of course. Uh, you wrote the following. Autistic folks spend an inordinate amount of time discussing the torture of labels on their clothes and a discussion about sensory issues right after we discuss how much we loathe the grocery store, the hatred of tags on our clothes comes up. It's amazing how something so small can invisibly create full body discomfort, and yet it does. A label left on can ruin an autistic's day in less time than a change in routine. The slow irritation building as the label scratches your bare skin, then the fidgeting kicks in and sets the stage for the mother of all meltdowns if the label isn't cut off and tossed immediately. Could you go into uh, giving us a better idea about life as an autistic person on different parts of the spectrum? Absolutely. So um, I first need to say, you know, that's my experience, right? And that's um, an experience that I share with um, some folks on the spectrum, but an experience that I don't share with all folks on the spectrum. Right. So mm-hmm. um, they're really the, the big and most important thing that, that um, I would love anyone to leave with that's listening is that um, all autistic people are not alike. Each one of us is different, just like each human being out in the world is different. And so we each have our own personal brand of autism. And my personal brand of autism came with a lot of sensory challenges. I am a very sensory sensitive person. Right. Um, and so for me, um, 
there was a lot of silent suffering, right? There was mm -hmm. a lot of moments in my life that were spent, you know, ruminating on tags on my clothes, right? Because okay. it was ruining my whole day mm -hmm. um, and any other number of sensory issues. Um, but, you know, sensory is something that, sensory issues is something that's fairly common on the spectrum. Um, and for me, that's my biggest, that's my, you know, my biggest struggle um, with being an autistic person. Next one, I when I was doing a lot of research on on our guests, I I find some things that makes me dig even further in into that person. And in the June twenty twenty one edition of the same magazine, Autism Spectrum News, you submitted a story titled "Doing It My Autistic Way: Why Being Self Employed Was the Logical Solution for Me." Tell us about your business, including self defining defined living, a path to quality autistic life. Yeah. So um, I really struggled with employment. I struggled with employment um, a lot as someone who was undiagnosed. Um, to give you some idea, in 15 years out working in the world, um, I did a, like a grand total of 13 different jobs. Right. Wow. So, And I mean like different jobs, like an executive assistant, but also working in commercial construction. Right. So like mm. really different. Um, and that's a lot of um, messy work history to have in our world the way that it exists right now. Um, and so as I, when I received my diagnosis, which was when I was 36 years old, um, I realized that the way that the corporate world and the way that the employment world period really functions does not suit me at all. <laughs> it's mm. like really um, a constant set of barriers for me rather than being something that's sustainable that I can do to maintain my life. Right. So I was just having a roller coaster up between different um, employment. So I would go in, I'd get the job, pass the interview, start working, you know, and a few months into it, I'd have the job completely, you know, I've learned it, I've mastered it, I'm doing my job. And then, you know, suddenly some kind of some social issue that I don't understand comes up. And that's always when I started to have trouble and I either quit or get fired. So with the understanding that um, I struggle with teamwork, right? Um, mm. It seemed a lot easier for me um, to get the things done in my life the way that I wanted to do them um, once I got my diagnosis and I understood myself. Um, and our traditional nine to five, right, just isn't a picture for me that works. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, the only option was to figure out how to work for myself. Um, and beyond that, um, I needed to figure out how to work remotely. Um, and that is well before COVID, right? And then COVID yeah. came along. And now here we all are sitting, working from home. Um, and many of us have gone on to become entrepreneurs as a result and all kinds of things. Mm. Um, and it's not quite as rare as it was when I set out to do it. Um, and what's really interesting, I think, is that very recently I have actually taken a job and I'm returning to working for somebody else. Um, and that's another transition that I'm going through in the moment. <laughs> Yeah. So living on the spectrum. So obviously you were autistic uh, when you were in your twenties, but yet you didn't realize it. So you would get caught in these uh, rabbit holes of getting a job and finding out you were coming up on the same problems time after time. Is that correct? over yeah. and over again. And it's really crazy. It was almost like we do the 90 day mark for a reason in business. Yeah. Um, and it was almost always around that 90 day mark. 
um, that things would start happening. I mean, the longest I ever um, held a job continuously was two years. That was the max that I had ever stayed anywhere. Hmm. Yeah, I have spoken with some of my guests so far, and we were talking about uh, COVID and some of the positive things that came about from it. And that carries me over to your website. Now, I, I went to uh, uh, BeccaLaurie.com, and again, this is going to be on the Life's a Road Trip website, so people don't have to worry about it right now. But opening it up, and here's a quote from Lewis Carroll right on the top. I'm not strange, weird, off, nor crazy. My reality is just different from yours. I love how you put that, and I think it summarizes things so well, but yet the autism spectrum is so broad that it can mean even more because your uh uh, dealing with autism is different from someone else's because of that mm -hmm. wide spectrum. So what made you put that on the top? Is it something about that statement? I'm not crazy weird off and, and such from, uh, from Carol. Um, yeah, I think, you know, as an undiagnosed person, I, I lived a really uncomfortable life. Um, I, you know, it's not that I didn't realize something was different about me. And it's not that I didn't realize that I was struggling or having challenges or the people around me didn't realize that. Right. Okay. Um, it's just that I didn't fit the picture of what we thought autism looked like in the early 80s. Mm. Right. In the early yeah. 80s, it looked like a non-speaking boy who was behaviorally aggressive, yelling and screaming and hitting. Right. Um, mm. And certainly um, not someone with verbal capacity. Right. Um, yeah. And in our world, when you are a little girl who doesn't talk a lot and is shy and in the corner and doesn't want to socialize, but always has her nose in a book, they say, oh, what a good little girl she is. OK. Right. Yeah. So it was really a complicated time to grow up for me. Right. It was a yeah. an odd right, kind of underpinning. Um, but I was receiving a lot of misdiagnoses in that time. And when you're walking around you know, having all of these differences that no one can name, they get other names. They get names like strange, weird, odd, unique, right? Quirky, yeah. right? We give it all kinds of words like that. Um, and there's some really nasty ones we give with it too. Um, and that does a number on people's inner world and how they talk about themselves to themselves, right? Yeah. Um, and so that's what part of this quote um, is about. And I think, um, also, for me, the work of Lewis Carroll is um, poignant between my mother and I, and so it was also for that. Um, it really hit home with me. I, I really love that because I've, gosh, what I mean, uh, second month of doing this podcast now, and I, I started for a different reason from where it's ending up with uh, learning more about the dis disability community. I substitute teach, and after reading your stuff, and I also had uh, my very first guest was... Um, dealing with uh, talking about autism, what he's done to help the autistic uh, community. I run into more and more kids while I'm at school that seem to fit different areas and realms and spectrums. And it makes me more comfortable then or more softer place in my heart. And even talking with some of the other teachers about kids on what they're up on and what they're told. I am proud to say that uh, teachers nowadays are apprised more of how kids are and they do pay attention to things and it, it just really helps. Now, I found another piece and it, it's an article that you wrote. It starts with thriving while autistic, creating a quality self-defined life. I, I would imagine this is something that 
came from when you when you started getting more into writing and creating a website where it allowed you to uh, want to to reach out to people that are autistic and to provide a little bit more self assurance to them. You know, talk about more of what you got going in that website and what what your feeling is and what you were projecting through the website, please. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, for me, you know, there's little a autism and there's big a autism, right? Uh, so there's my personal brand and life with autism, right? And then there's my journey as an advocate um, and okay. dealing with autism as a whole, right? And, and looking at our community and our culture and all of those things. Um, and so in my journey, right, I, I started as much as many diagnosed people do. I got my diagnosis. I was 36. And I said, well, mm -hmm. I better start learning about it, right? Like, yeah. I gotta start to yeah. Myself. And I went on that journey. And so for many of us, that first year post-diagnosis is a really internal journey. It's, it's about kind of historically going back and saying, you know, where was the autism in all of this? And maybe it wasn't my fault. And where were the adults? And why wasn't someone taking care of me? And there's a lot of anger in that time. Okay. Um, but after the first year, there's a desire to give back. There was a desire to there you go. not have someone else. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. It's um, just a desire to not have someone else, you know, be in that position. So they don't have to feel uncomfortable like you were. So yeah. Paying it forward, you know, that's what, that's what we all need to be doing, and that's the type of guests I'm I'm trying to find here, and that's what I'm learning as I go on this venture myself. Now, under your fre frequently asked questions tab on that same website, you, you bring it up as four answers to uh, uh, the most commonly asked questions, and the first one is, and as I read these, if you would venture off into discussing these a little bit more, it'd be appreciated. Sure. Number one is, is self-diagnosis valid? Yes, self-diagnosis is valid. There are way too many barriers to a clinical diagnosis um, for us to not give validity to self-diagnosis. Mm. Um, the other piece of self-diagnosis is that um, you don't exactly see people running, you know, and jumping like lemmings to try and get their autism diagnosis. So mm. usually when folks find themselves questioning and really are finding themselves in a position where maybe they want to go seek a diagnosis and they've self-identified, right, um, we, we really um, give credit to that because it's, it's so much a personal journey. Right. Um, and getting that diagnosis um, isn't as important as the self-knowledge piece. Right? That just um, makes sense. Yeah. And it must be very helpful for the individual to come to some conclusions on their own as well as from professionals and anything yeah. you can find. Right. Um, I always say, you know, we it, depending on how you arrive at that understanding about yourself is really when you need to make that choice about whether or not you seek a, a diagnosis. We just, for adults, we don't have um, a good set of supports and services that you're going to get from your clinical diagnosis, right? Like your mm -hmm. that piece of paper isn't going to really get you anything. Um, and so spending a lot of money for something that's not necessarily covered by insurance mm -hmm. um, can be a really unwise choice for someone who's probably already struggling with unemployment um, or underemployment. How, you know, it's venturing off on, on where I was going to be going with this, but you just hit on an important topic, I think, is what about insurance coverage? Uh, is there much... <laughs> that uh, can it be falling under, you know, uh, 
your spectrum issues? So um, the way that insurance is lined up right now, I, I can't speak to exactness of it. Yeah. Um, I got my diagnosis a very long time ago, and I do believe that more people are getting their diagnoses covered. But here in the United States, um, it is incredibly difficult as an adult to get your health insurance company to pay for your diagnosis in adulthood. Um, that is because um, everything in our government and in health insurance and in the medical world moves really, really slow. And mm -hmm. it doesn't change as fast as our knowledge changes. Mm -hmm. um, and so we, you know, um, we know that autism is not something that pitters out in childhood. We know now that um, it may be something that appears in childhood to people and can get diagnosed then. But oftentimes we know that it's missed, right, in childhood. Yeah. And so... Um, because of our history with sort of calling autism a, a childhood diagnosis, um, health insurance is built around that. So if you've got a kid who's under 18 that wants to diagnosis that, they can get covered. Right? Okay. Um, that's the game. Um, and um, anything beyond that is sort of um, working with public benefits um, and trying to get those to work for you. Wow. So many hurdles. Yeah. Uh, number two in your, under your FAQs, can I stop masking? What is masking first? Okay, so masking is uh, a term that we use in the autism world um, to talk about um, the behaviors that we do to cover and to um, to hide our natural autisticness, right? Mm. So I'll give an example, right? Um, the a really common one for people to think about when they think of autism is to think about stimming and like particularly um, flapping hands, right? Flapping okay. hands, yeah, like, yeah. Um, and what we did for a very long time was try to teach our children to quiet their hands, right? And to hold those stims inside and not release that energy and to hide that. And what that did was create a whole bunch of adults who felt like their natural state of being and their natural way of regulating is unacceptable out in the world. And so it needs to be hidden. Um, and that takes a lot of work. Um, and we can live a lifetime doing that. Um, some of us can live a lifetime masking ourselves so much that we lose who we are underneath okay. there. Um, and so that's what masking is. And so the question, can I stop masking, is something that a lot of us who get diagnosed um, ask, um, because as we're learning about ourselves, we figure out that we're not broken, we're just different, right? We just do okay. things differently. Um, and so then it's like, well, then can I stop hiding all of it? Right. Um, and that's a more layered question. That's a nuanced question because it depends on how much of your life you spend masking and how many years you spent doing it. And do you mask in order to keep your job, for example, mm. right? and all of those things. Um, and also it's a it's a coping mechanism, not a healthy one that we developed really early on. Um, and it can often take us a very long time to feel safe enough to ditch it. Right. Um, and so it's not a process we can rush either. Wow. That's something I, I've never thought about that people, you know, it's like someone from the LGBTQ community coming out of the closet, but yet yep. it's not just coming out of the closet. You're hiding it from society because you know how you're going to be treated, yep. but it's also a coping mechanism. Like you said, the masking. Yeah, it's a coping mechanism to survive yeah. in a world yeah. that's not built for you. Huh. Right. Okay. Number three, uh, this was a good one. I just, uh, last week I interviewed uh, Anessa Powell from All Ability Recruiting, and mm -hmm. we talked about this one. And it's 
disclosure, should I? And that's when you're applying for a position. Go mm -hmm. ahead. Um, well, I talk about disclosure a lot these days from that employment place, but disclosure can be thought about um, from any place. Right. So mm -hmm. um, we can talk about it even from a parent's place. They have to deal with disclosure and whether they want to tell people that their kid or child got this diagnosis. Right. Or that they you know, have this identity. And so as um, the language is changing around autism, the question of disclosure um, comes up a lot. It's basically a question of is it safe to be my authentic self? Right. That's really mm -hmm. the question. Can I come out here? Right. Um, and a lot of us um, are so grateful for aut our autistic identity when we get it, um, because it is so impactful to our quality of life that we genuinely are so happy to have solved the mystery that we want to stand on a rooftop and tell everyone. Um, but we can't control the bias and stigma that other people carry with them. And so often when we do that, we pay the price. Right. Um, yeah. For what bias they carry around it. Right. And we tend to be then the recipient of microaggressions and all kinds of other fun things. So I think about the question of disclosure in a really personal way. Um, really, you know, it's a it is more than just a diagnosis. It's really who you are. And so what is it what does it mean that people are asking you to tell them that? Right. Mm. Should you. Right. And my question is always, well, have they earned that information? Right? That's an interesting way to put it. And it does come down to the individual. Like you don't share your sex life with every Joe Schmo walking That's down the street because they ask you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So why um, is it something that, why do they need to be sticking their nose in it? Mm -hmm. Other than it could be just that you're different. Well, right. And if different. I choose to share it with you, right, mm -hmm. that's really an act of trust. Right. Okay. That's an, a vulnerable act. And you are trusting the other human being on the other side with it. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not respected that way at all. And it's often yeah. turned against us. It's often used as it's weaponized, I like to say. Yeah. Um, against us. Wow. And okay. so, no, it's not always safe to disclose, even though I would love to live in a world where it is. <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun? All right. Let's do a U-turn on this one. Number four. Mm -hmm. Can I be autistic and happy? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. A million times. Yes. Right. Um, but can you be happy 100% of the time? No. Right. That is just the way that the world is. No human being can be happy 100% of the time. Right. Everybody has to have some philosophical experience of sadness to experience joy. Right. And so we all have our balance of that in our lives. But happiness is not out of reach for autistic people. Um, what makes us feel that way is the judgment that comes from um, the outside world about our choices. Um, for example, many of us get judged about the things that bring us joy, right? Mm -hmm. A lot yeah. of us, like, especially when I was growing up, we, are, we're, we talk about how much we loved sitting and reading our world book encyclopedias, like, and getting the new letter and like how, right? And that's autistic joy. And then at the same time, all the people around us would say, how can that be fun for you? That's not fun. Reading's not fun. Learning's not fun, right? Go out and play with your friends, which for autistics is not mm -hmm. fun, right? And so when your joy gets judged, 
um, in that way. And then the way you express your joy gets judged, AKA flappy hands mm. right, and any other of those things. Um, it really you know, becomes a clear message from the outside world that you are not allowed to be happy, right? Because your happiness is judged. It's just another way for people to judge you. So a lot of us end up living a life where we have isolated into our bedroom or into our basement um, or any number of other places because um, what brings us joy, we can only experience in privacy, right? You put that quite so well. That's what's got to be flipped. It's not whether or not we can experience it. It's whether or not the world can let it go and understand that joy comes in lots of packages. The older I get, I think the more I question how humans really are. It's just a bit mind boggling and very disappointing. Mm -hmm. um, what we learn as we get older, at least from my perspective, you know, especially uh, being a quad amputee, when I was in my mid thirties and seeing what life is like after and, and seeing it from mm -hmm. the other side of it. So you have a second website and uh, agency uh, titled truly inclusive leadership. Could you talk about that please? Absolutely. Um, so I've recently made a shift um, from the consulting that I was doing, which was very much based on um, consulting organizations on their inclusivity practices um, and, you know, even working one on one with autistic individuals and doing some coaching. Um, I have some courses that I teach, things like that. Um, but my passion for that kind of dwindled away and I was realizing that um, my energy was shifting and I wasn't really feeling as excited about those things as I used to be. Um, and what was exciting me was what was happening over in employment land um, around the conversation of DEI or diversity, equity, and inclusion in terms of that conversation and how does the greater disability community fit into that conversation, right? Okay. Um, and is that our in to getting some equity in the workplace? Mm -hmm. um, and so that was, became really sort of this little um, little worm in my ear. And I just was <laughs> like, mm, I can't leave it alone. I can't leave it alone. And then as I started to express interest in it, um, I was getting a lot of engagement from people around it. Um, so I just said, you know what, it's time to make this shift for myself. Okay. I got to do a little pivot here. Um, and so it's not to say that the work that I did before or the work that's on my other website is invalid or not useful or not up to date or any of that. It is. Um, but I have shifted where I want to put my energy. Um, and so I am now working um, out of truly inclusive leadership. My goal is to work with companies and organizations to help them um, really look at their company culture and look at their policies and systems and uh, from a really um, disabled perspective, right? So from the, the that perspective and that um I want to say accessibility, except that word has been abused so much in our world right now. But from that accessibility place, right? Um, how do we create um, diversity, equity, and inclusion for disabled people? Um, and the big part for me is that I've added the B onto that for myself, which is belonging, right? Because Good. I really feel like it's easy to have see to see that DEI has been co-opted into a numbers game, and I really think that it's purpose is to end up with that belonging, right? So that our workplaces um, are open to people and that everyone feels like they belong there and not just, you know, the crew that wears the right ties, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that kind of thing. Um, and so that's what I'm doing. I'm really consulting with these companies and their HR departments to make sure that we're thinking inclusion 
through the full life cycle of employees. So not just that recruiting place, not just that interview place, but past that and all the way through to retirement, right? Um, we need to be really counting our dis disability numbers. There's just so many of us and you can enter our community at any time, right? Um, yeah. And so um, it is an ever growing community. Um, How are you feeling at the end of the day when, as you're, you're going after something, it's coming from your heart, yeah. obviously back. And so you're, you're, you're putting yourself out there, but how are you feeling at the end of the day when things don't go so smoothly and you're running up against one brick wall after another, you know, what's it like? At this, I've been doing this advocacy type things for 10 years now. Um, and I have seen the landscape change enough in the 10 years that I can, um, take some moments to myself and remember okay. the way it used to be, right? And say, okay, yes, this sucks, but I used to not even be able to get these phone calls. And I used to not be able to charge this rate and all of these things, right? And I can recenter oh, myself. I see. Okay, that's good. That, right? Um, yeah. But it's, and there are days when it's painful, right? There are oh, days yeah. when I'm the recipient of the microaggressions that I have yet to teach them about, Right. Yeah. Um, and things like that. And so there are days when it's hard and we look to each other on those days and say, who else is out here advocating? I'm having a crappy day. <laughs> like, you know, did you see this article is really how we do it. Wow. I, I want to use that talking about your emotions to get it off into something you also do that I think might be a bit of a, an emotional vent for you. And that's called the info dump files. And again, this links are going to be on the life's a road trip website, folks. So talk about that. I, I went in and I listened to a few episodes and it feels like to me that maybe you are able to vent a little bit. Is, is, is that what this is for? And, and what's the purpose of the info dump files? I love the name, by the way. Thank you. Um, it really, so the idea of an info dump, just for those of you out there who don't know, um, autistics are prone to them, though everyone can do them on occasion. Um, we tend to have our special topics. And if you get us started talking about them, <laughs> we can talk about them endlessly uh -huh. um, and, and really not notice that you've paled out and stopped listening and all of those things and just info dump on you until we've run out of oxygen. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of slang within the autism community. Got so it. Thank you. Occasionally we'll say, are you okay with an info dump? Or I'm about to info dump on you about this. Okay. Right. And we, we kind of use that term. And so um, the name come, came from the idea of for the podcast, which came from my co-host, Doug Bletcher at Autism mm -hmm. Personal Coach, um, who is a fantastic human being. Um, and he said, I really want to write a book with you and start um, categorizing and cataloging all of the different special interests out there or the spins out there, right? Mm -hmm. Which are um, things like um, that, pe that people in our community really love, right? Um, so um, folks will have a really specialized interest in certain things that they info dump about, okay. right? Yeah. Um, and so our hope was to catalog, uh, catalog that. And then I said, Doug, we're both very busy. And I'm a very tired person. And writing <laughs> is a very, very sad endeavor. To uh -huh. <laughs> so uh -huh. what if we live you know, we do it live instead of interviewing people and writing it up. What if we do a podcast and we just capture it, you know, happening instead? And he was like, all right, I'll do that with you. <laughs> you See, that's what I'm saying, uh, Becca. That's what I, that's the gist of what I got from the episodes that I listened to. You guys just sit down and just let's go. 
Yeah, I, that, that's perfect. So really, like it genuinely happens like this. Like, and we don't edit. That's the other thing. Unless cool. somebody really stepped in it and they really want our help, but <laughs> really, we don't. We don't edit um, because the point is to we capture the video and the audio. We, I put the video on YouTube, and Doug takes care of his masterful audio stuff on the other okay. side. Um, but the reason is because once we get talking about our special interests and we start info dumping, the masking drops, right? It just naturally okay. disappears. You and go. you get to see captured, right? Autistic people in their natural environment, right? Just being ourselves with each other, right? And it's a window into autistic culture for a minute, right? It's a window yeah. into how we connect and how we communicate with each other. Um, and what we've been able to do is say to each other, hey, did you see this cool person over here? Did you see that person's article? Let's see if they want to come on and talk about their special interests, like not related to their work, because the whole purpose is that we capture the fun and that it feels mm. like fun, um, because um, otherwise, who has the energy to do it? Really? Yeah. And to me, it, it sounds like if I was sitting around, well, I've done this many times, sitting around at a pub drinking beers with my soccer friends and we start getting talking about the game and the aspects of the theme and the right. tactical. I hear you. That's what you guys are doing with the info dump files. It's mm -hmm. just freaking venting. Um, you guys should bring a couple of glasses of wine on with you sometime. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> right? see you doing that. <laughs> it before, might get funny. What the heck? Oh, then it takes it in a different direction. You're talking about not editing. Right. Um, so taking things in, in a different direction, I want to get into wrapping up the show with what I call um, the road trip roundup. And okay. I'm going to be asking you five questions about doing road trips, you know, you and road trips, just be casual about it. So first one, and I've, I've changed this uh, since the, when I started uh, asking these questions, uh, because some of the guests would answer that they didn't do fast food. So uh, I rephrased it and it goes like this. Question number one, when road tripping, do you tend to do fast food or local diners? Fast food, definitely. Okay. And what's your go-to? That was the original question. What's your go-to yeah, fast food? I would have stuck with that question too. Who are you helping people? <laughs> what's wrong with you? You're driving in a car, eat some nuggets. Hey, there you go. So right? what's your go-to? My go-to is McDonald's. I think okay. as a very loyal autistic person, as I'm still loyal to chicken nuggets and fries. And those, you know, were my go-to as a kid and they're still my safe zone. Oh, that's what the, okay. Loyal to, I was going to ask you, was it Ray yeah. Kroc? You were loyal to him? Okay. No. Got it. Okay. Chicken nuggets. <laughs> Number two, what's your dream car for a road trip? Now, Becca, that can be something you've, you have, you've had or grew up with, or would be really cool to say uh, rent for a day or two just for a road trip. So what would you um, like? To, what's your dream car? It's such a tough call for me. So <laughs> I'm Good. currently sour on road trips because I just moved cross country. Mm. So um, I've done it a lot in a lot of different vehicles. And it's easier for me to tell you the car I don't want to do it in. Again. <laughs> and that is a caravan, the, the that van, Dodge minivan caravan. thing. Oh, okay. I, I will okay. never ever do it again in my life. Um, it is it was my real nightmare vehicle before I had to drive cross country in it, mm. and it still is. How was it moving cross country with pets? Because I see you have you've got one or two dogs. I have four dogs. Jeez, lady, <laughs> and how many cats? Six cats. Dude, how did you get yeah. cross country with them? I mean, weren't you freaking out that? You go in. A, first of all, you have to find a hotel that allows for yes. pets. But my God, if one of them ever got away, oh my goodness! Well, um, I 
actually vlogged the whole thing. Um, if oh. you're interested, you can head to my YouTube channel. Um, and I did a whole vlog of our road trip. And you can see every thing, great thing that happened and every terrible thing that okay. happened. We started out in an RV and, and ended up in a rented <laughs> minivan. <laughs> All right. Thanks for the chuckle. That's one, one of the things I really like about doing this show is when somebody brings up something funny like that. So let's get into something a little, a little bit different. Uh, what's the last cassette or CD that played while you're on a road trip? Maybe what you might've been listening to on that one. Mm. So, Well, I did a lot of back and forth on that, but I think my very favorite um, road trip album ever mm. is Billy Joel, The Stranger. Oh, classic yeah very good nice one that's something to crank to and just yeah i could just see hands on the steering wheel just cruising yep that's a good cruising good cruising album okay all right number four coke or pepsi coke big time boom just straight out of the yeah straight out of the uh, gate okay yep. have, <laughs> i'm drinking now uh coke zero have you ever had coke zero I have. I'm really a Coke classic and that's it. Person. Coke classic. Oh, yeah. so you must have been pissed off when they, uh, back in the what, ni oh, 1986 yes. or something like that when they came. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was definitely traumatized, but I'm glad that it has returned. I always thought that that was such an advertising coup because I think they did it on purpose just to get uh -huh. things stirred up. That's what my thought was. Not uh, a just, bad thought. Yeah, why not? You know, just stirred up. Pepsi didn't have the balls to do it. Why not? It's true. Okay. All right. Now, here, you take this last question wherever you want to go, Becca. Okay. What's your favorite road trip memory? Oh, uh, wow. Okay. My It's sort of a road trip memory. Okay. So my husband and I went on a trip um, for our honeymoon, and we went to Scotland. Oh, and it was my very nice. favorite trip ever. Nice. And we did a bus <laughs> road trip to Loch Ness. And that bus road trip was the funniest. I mean, so many people were car sick on the bus. <laughs> our driver oh, was so That's funny. hilarious, Becca. Everyone and, puked. Like, <laughs> it was just a, like a silly, funny memory. I mean, Loch Ness was really cool. We didn't see her or anything no. like that. But how cool to have gone to Loch Ness. Huh. Um, but the... The drive on the bus was is definitely one of my favorite memories. Yeah, were these people that everybody just signed up from it from different places around yep, the world? We, like, nobody knew, nobody each, knew other. each other. Like okay. two people together that knew each other and all paired up, and that's about it. Yep. Okay. All right. Well, there must have been some pubbing along the way. I'm sure. <laughs> yes. You guys have to get get to know each other. That's interesting. I've never met anyone that has ever gone and looked for Nessie. Fascinating. You're an interesting person. I really like that. Thank That's you. really cool. Hey, I want to uh, us to wrap up, but I want you to stay on and pick each other's brain a little bit. And and sure. uh, right now, I'm just going to say, challenge, relax, everybody, and keep listening. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. Check out previous episodes with new ones dropping each Tuesday. If you don't see a synopsis of this show where you're listening, visit our website at lifesaroadtrip.podbean.com for more information on this week's guest. This is your host, Scott Martin, reminding you that life's a road trip. <laughs>